0: Publicly condemn Expedia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they've been screwing you over for two <laughs> for years. Time. So I booked my honeymoon in 2020. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that didn't go very well. No, I had it to did cancel not. It. You didn't even get married. I didn't even in get 20. married. <laughs> so we canceled it, and I, ha- you know, obviously, we didn't want to rebook it until like the pandemic was pretty chilled mm-hmm. off. You know, and then last year in like February we got a notice saying you have to use your tickets by the end of March so we're like okay that's sooner than we thought so we're planning a trip planning a trip and then they're like oh wait no you have until the end of the year they sent us this in an email I have proof mm-hmm. and then every time I went to book the trip they were like oh well this is not right so like call back later oh well this is we're having a problem so call back later I have spent more hours on the phone with Expedia than I have with my own husband this past year. So frustrating. So then finally yesterday I spent two and a half hours on the phone with them and they go, well, so American airlines is saying that because your book your tickets are booked through them, then, uh, they're not acknowledging that the, that they were extended. So your tickets actually expired in 2021. (laughs)
1: This is why we need all of those like quality
0: assurance recordings. Yes. So you can be like, go back through, go back through, find all my phone calls, please. And I had, thankfully I have the email proof mm-hmm. that they told me that I had until the end of the year. So I'm hoping I get my money back. Mm-hmm. But the real kicker was at one point the guy goes, so I need to ask, um, why did you cancel your initial flight? I was like, why did I cancel my flight in 2020 in the year 2020 you're asking me why i'm pretty sure it was canceled for me (laughs) yeah i i don't think i had much choice in the matter um (laughs) stuck outside the country are you fucking kidding i was like i literally said i was like is that a serious question
1: (laughs) so if anybody has a tie-in with like how we can get this money back
0: if anyone has any advice i would love to hear it because i am at my quit send and i was <laughs> really had it up to here <laughs> yeah because i was like because we had to use them by the end of the year so then i was getting all these fanciful thoughts i was like case and i were going to go the first weekend of december Beautiful. to london love it go to the christmas market perfect and now that's not happening right but that's okay okay i'd much rather have the money back anyways (laughs) at this point in my life right um but we're not here to talk about trips and expedia (laughs) we're here to talk about (laughs) history on the rocks with katie and allie this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional
1: women from all times and places because women have nuance
0: but keep in mind we are drinking the entire time
1: and we're not historians yeah
0: we get our information from the same google sor- searches that you might do yeah your listener
1: absolutely but <laughs> we do more than just read the shortlist that's true so we compile
0: we compile We're compilers yes i was definitely doing some comparing and contrasting this week and uh, i'm hoping i have The right things in my story. Listen, I was trying. (laughs) I was trying.
1: But there's not a lot on my person. She wrote an autobiography, but not like... Again, it's really hard for us to get them get it delivered and read it in a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, well, I was like re- reading pieces of it online, but I was yeah. like, I don't have any information on yeah. this
0: person. <laughs> but I tried. That's Sorry, right. this happens sometimes. Well, you know what? The good thing about your person is I've never even heard of her. Good. So any information is welcome information on my part. Perfect. Um, but you're busy. You're on the phone on, on the hold phone with Expedia on hold and you can't click away because what if they
1: pick up and they're and then like yep. they're like hey and then you don't immediately get back to them and then they hang up on you
0: yep after all that hold oh god that was the worst part of yesterday is I literally couldn't even do anything yeah. because I had to be in front of my computer and look at all the codes that they'd sent me. <laughs> the worst. But you're busy doing that, so you can't look up these women and see what they look like. You have to stay alert and focused. Um, so we're going to describe them for you. So you have a picture in your head while we're Perfect. telling their story. Mm. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like?
1: I am doing Celia Cruz. And she is a black Hispanic woman originally from Cuba. She has a stunningly symmetrical face, including large eyes, lush lips, and a prominent nose. But... Honestly, sometimes it's really easy to overlook how beautiful she is because her performance clothing over the years got more and more eccentric. I mean, colorful wings and sparkly (gasps) sequins and (laughs) wigs and feathers. And so she is just a bright, colorful pop star oh no I I guess I wouldn't say pop star a Latin American
0: music star okay Celia Cruz that's what she looks like (laughs) so I am doing Aunt Jemima she has had a few different looks over the years uh in the beginning she was a very racist depiction of an enslaved woman with an apron and a handkerchief on her head um and you know just the big red lips, the very very mm-hmm. dark skin, the caricature and version, a very caricatured version. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but the last, um, the latest Aunt Jemima. Uh, she was a kind looking black woman with a big smile, shiny white teeth, a short perm, and pearl earrings. Most often smiling up from a bottle of maple syrup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, that is what she looked like we'll talk about all of the women who uh portrayed her um but that for uh, up until the very like last depiction of her it was always handkerchief Mm -hmm. like typically a heavy set woman apron like very very Hattie McDaniel depiction yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and uh we get into that we haven't I even mentioned Hattie amazing So, yeah. Uh, Do you want to know what you're about to drink? I am. I'm assuming there's syrup in it. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) my cocktail is called... Ode to Nancy. Ooh. <laughs> Who's Nancy?
1: We'll find out.
0: Ah. Um, so it is an ounce and a half to two ounces of bourbon, an ounce of heavy cream, half ounce of maple syrup, vanilla extract, cinnamon, and nutmeg. And then you garnish it with Angostura bitters on top. And then so you do like a couple drops and then you kind of swirl them with a toothpick to try and make some kind of design. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it
1: was beautiful. The top's beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. Tastes like a pie or something. Yeah, I was oh, about no. to say, I feel like I have a pie in a cup. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. it. Wow. Or it's a stack of buttery, fluffy pancakes. pancakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So cake for breakfast. <laughs> so what do you know about Aunt Jemima? Okay, so
1: I know it's a brand name. Um, I know that recently there was a big uproar because she was taken off of the bottle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when she made it onto our request list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there were a lot of people who were like, but this is a, you know, somebody who was proud of this and blah, blah, blah. There was like so much conflicting information on the internet um, mm-hmm. about how how to feel about the logo. Um And I mean, that's the most recent thing I know about it. Other than that, it's always been, it's a staple in my life. I've always Mm -hmm. seen it on grocery store shelves. Mm -hmm. I know that it used to have a more racist depiction, but I don't really know about the history of the company. I don't know why they chose it. But I just remember Facebook being like, stupid snowflakes are insulted uh-huh. by everything, and mm-hmm. you don't even understand economics. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a lot of that, and I was like, ooh, interesting. Yeah. I'd mm-hmm. love to know more. Yes.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> tell right. me more. I'm going to get into all of that.
1: Wonderful. So
0: my sources today were the History Chicks, uh, Dig, a history podcast. Uh, we love Dig on this show. Yeah, we they do. They do such good research. They do. Um, and Wikipedia. So... I most often associate Aunt Jemima with maple syrup, Mm. but before it's time for syrup, you have to make a pancake. This is why our story starts with two men with a vision to revolutionize flour mills. (laughs) It's a pancake mix? (laughs) Yes! Oh! In 1888, Chris L. Rhett and his friend Charles G. Underwood bought a small flour mill at 214 North 2nd Street in St. Joseph, Missouri. They knew that the flour industry itself was kind of overrun. That's why the original mill went out of business in the first place. It couldn't keep up with all of the competition. So they were looking to do something a little different. And they saw an opportunity in all of the excess flour and cornmeal that was left over from making the big batches. So they're like, all right, what can we do with all of this little bit of extra stuff? And they're like, what problem can we with this and they said you know what the biggest problem in the 1800s is bad pancakes <laughs> that's p- it <laughs> that's, that's not, it not slavery <laughs> <laughs> not according to these guys right the pitch basically went like this are you tired of flat rubbery pancakes because you didn't use the exact right amount of ingredients no more introducing self-rising pancake flour Just add milk and you'll have fluffy pancakes in no time. The two men figured that if they could make the perfect, foolproof pancake recipe and then put everything you need together and just package it into a little paper bag that you could just add milk to, then it would revolutionize the American breakfast. The first notation of the recipe was from November 1st, 1889. And that piece of paper is still in a museum today.
1: Wow, almost happy anniversary. It's I know. November 3rd right now. That's crazy.
0: <laughs> pancake anniversary. Um, and it was also marketed as a more hygienic way to buy something. So previously, you know, you'd go to the market. The flour is in a barrel. The cornstarch is in a barrel. The baking soda is in a barrel. And you'd have to just, like, kind of scoop it out and <laughs> put it in your bag and take it home. You're digging. You didn't know what was in that, whose hands were in that barrel, whether mice got into the barrel. But with Pearl Milling Company self-rising pancake flour, you're the first one to touch it since it left the factory. And that was really appealing to people cuz also like I feel like we learned a lot about germs in the, the <laughs> after pandemic this little war.
1: Uh, oh yeah the civil war and then now recently because when i was a kid there were still barrels of uh candy Mm -hmm. in in giant that you could like scoop out yeah Mm -hmm. that's really gross yeah a barrel of gummies how long have they been there (laughs) (laughs) i don't
0: understand so this was revolutionary in so many ways it was one of the earliest examples of a ready mix people fucking loved the idea of like i just buy this and then i have pancakes yeah Because like, you know how when you go to make brownies or cookies and you're like, Mm. fuck, I don't have any goddamn baking soda. Uh (gasps) That's the worst feeling. Oh, yeah. Um, I recently used apple cider vinegar. Um, (laughs) Really? (laughs) Well, for baking powder, I think. Mm. For baking powder, if you don't have any, you mix apple cider vinegar with baking soda. And honestly, it worked. I always go, hey, Alexa, (laughs) what do you you sub for sugar? (laughs) Like every time. I love that. So it's individually packaged. um, And- Oh, yeah, and it's one of the first products to be individually packaged, which was really exciting for people because then not only is it easy to grab, but people get familiar with your brand, mm. which was not really a thing, right? People now. didn't know flower bit brands. Yeah. It was just like stamped on the side of the barrel, <laughs> right. I guess. So they have this amazing product, but they need a better, catchier name and perhaps something. Eye-catching, exciting to put on the front of this new paper packaging because that was also new. You didn't package things in paper, you put them in flower sacks or Mm -hmm. whatever-like, you know, that Mm. you put put feed in and then made dresses out of. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, People are nuts. People are going nuts. So I'm talking so much about things I don't know about. (laughs) People are going to be like, you're wrong. Um, Nobody's wearing a burlap sack. It's the Victorian era. Can we calm down? Um, So they're trying to think of how they can make their products stand out on grocery shelves. An inspiration struck Mr. Rutt while he was sitting at what other than a minstrel show? He said, that's it. Mammy is the perfect spokesperson for our product. America had a bit of a fascination with the Mammy character at this time, and it was absolutely on purpose. (laughs) People wanted to change the narrative of slavery into something that wasn't so bad. So they created fictional characters that could continue this story and always say the right things because they were written by the right or white people. And, often in a minstrel show, portrayed by white people. Mm -hmm. In blackface, right? In blackface. (laughs) So if you're wondering why your Halloween costume is fucked up, this is it. (laughs) One of the most famous and beloved characters was Mammy. She was the heavyset slave woman who loved her master's white children more than her own. Mammy doesn't want to be a free woman. She wants everything to stay exactly the same because she loves her life. This is dangerous for all sorts of reasons, which we talked extensively about in our Gone with the Wind episode. (laughs) Danger. Um, But especially with Miami, people really started to believe this lie that slavery wasn't bad and that some people enjoyed being (laughs) enslaved. They bought into this cozy southern shtick that was coming out. And it was very dangerous. It's much more comfortable to believe that some people liked it oh, yeah,
1: more comfortable but much more dangerous
0: yeah obviously this would go even further later on and eventually turn into the lost cause myth brought on by the daughters of the confederacy where they literally changed the textbooks to continue this narrative that some folks likes being like being enslaved and freeing them was actually harmful to some of the slaves because you know which <laughs> no um you know they're like no freeing the slaves is bad for them <laughs> Well, and this idea, just to give everybody an idea of how
1: crazy this is, it's perpetuated in Harry Potter with the house elves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, where, like, Winky gets freed and then Mm -hmm. she's, like, becomes drunk because she's so miserable because she doesn't have a purpose in life. Yeah. It's like, we still treat- We
0: still do this. Like,
1: with, like, fictional characters. It's crazy. It's
0: absolutely wild. Um and also, just the idea that, like, no, the Civil War wasn't about slavery. It was about states' rights. <laughs> so, that was all from the Daughters of the Confederacy, um, which is very upsetting. Uh, and I think it's um, beyond reproach does a great episode deep diving into the mm-hmm. whole Daughters of the Confederacy textbook thing. It's yeah. fascinating to get and really it's like, into it.
1: So, what if the Civil War was about states' rights? The number one state right was, was slavery. slavery. Yeah. <laughs> you don't
0: have to don't put it's icing a, on it. it it's like you're not wrong but you're not right yeah you're, <laughs> to be you're, clear. you're trying to cover up
1: exactly by yeah. saying something else <laughs> i'm not angry i'm just annoyed yeah.
0: <laughs> so they found their character and they she needed a name so they named her after a popular 1875 bill Curson song old aunt jemima And soon, the illustration of a black enslaved woman with a kerchief on her head and an apron around her waist became the symbol for Southern hospitality personified. The guys from the Pearl Milling Company. Also, Pearl Milling Company. Why didn't you just make an old white woman and call her Aunt Pearl? Cute. What? Yeah. What are we doing? Why did it... It's too waspy. So much could have been avoided. I just feel like by calling her Aunt Pearl and Mm -hmm. making her just like an old Missouri white woman, whatever. Nestle um, <laughs> <toll house. laughs> so they were right on the edge of glory when they hit the cold hard floor of bankruptcy. <laughs> oh, no, they didn't quite move quick enough with their marketing plan, uh, so they ran out of money. And in eighteen ninety, they sold their company to the Randolph Truett Davis Milling Company, who saw the potential in this ready box, ready mix box. Shit, (laughs) that was (laughs) hard to
1: say. It is honestly great. It's a brilliant idea.
0: (laughs) They saw the the you know the promise in that. They liked this Aunt Jemima character, so they're like, "Yeah, we can work with this." But first, they had to fix the recipe just a little bit. They added rice flour and corn sugar to get a better texture, and then they added powdered milk. So now, all you needed was water Water. to make perfect, fluffy pancakes. And they had all of this ready just in time to debut their new product with their new mascot at the 1893 Chicago, Chicago World's Fair. Fair. We love it. We know it. Everybody's there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Suck it, St. Louis. If I could
1: be a fly <laughs> on the ca- carousel. <laughs> 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 of oh my gosh! The Chicago World Fair. <laughs>
0: so they decided that they were going to take things a step further and make Aunt Jemima a real person that people could interact with. So they held auditions for the Pancake Queen, and a woman named Nancy Green landed the role. Nancy. Nancy. <laughs> Nancy was born an enslaved woman in 1834 in Montgomery County, Kentucky. And she was enslaved until she was around 31 years old. We believe that she had a husband and two or four children, but we do not know what happened to her family since, obviously, they didn't have any kind of legal marriage certificates and any members of her family could have been sold at any time. So... She, at this point, is just kind of a lone agent. Um, after the Civil War ended, she became a nanny for the Walker family in Kentucky, and she moved with the family to Chicago about 10 years later. By this time in her life, she was serving the second generation of Walkers, and her current employer encouraged her to go out for the Aunt Jemima audition. He said, I think you'd be perfect for it. Like, I think you really embody the kind of person that they're looking for. Which is very nice. Yeah. Um, like,
1: is that a compliment? I know. <laughs> I, like, I don't know how to feel.
0: Nancy, you're a perfect slave. <laughs> okay. Thank right. you. Everybody calm down. <laughs> um, she, of course, got the part. And at 59 years old, she shed her old life as Nancy Green and became Aunt Jemima. And they were going to make her grand debut a whole experience. The company designed a giant flour barrel that would act as her stage. And she would cook pancakes, showing people just how easy it really is, while singing songs and making people laugh, telling them jokes, and telling them delightful stories all about her days on the plantation. Oh, how fun it was. <laughs> oh. What an interactive lie. Yeah. <laughs> god, poor Nancy. My god. I just can't even like but she was believable. Like she was yeah, really good at it. But this
1: is the thing that so many people were calling to on Facebook. Yeah. They're like you're erasing the history of a slave woman who like actually did this. And it's like, well, but but <laughs> they
0: made her but- into a caricature. Of right. real things that she experienced <laughs> yeah I, I just like every time i read really about i'm like, gonna get into this we don't blame nancy green at no, all oh my no. god what a great opportunity no, for her right same but, way with hattie mcdaniel exactly like she was doing what she needed to do yeah uh the crowd was delighted especially with her catchphrase eyes in town honey What does that mean? Oh, like like I am in town? I am in town. Okay, so they even made her speak. Mm -hmm. Okay. Eyes in town, honey. They were even selling pins and merchandise with her image and catchphrase on it. Mm -hmm. Um, The venture proved to be wildly successful, and the RT Davis Milling Company received over 50,000 orders for pancake mix from companies and individuals. The Aunt Jemima booth was so popular that the fair had to hire a special security force to control the crowds around her. <laughs> the fair organizers even gave her a medal for having like the most successful booth. And to be clear, like the fax machine was here. Like the elevator was here. Maud Wagner's Maud Wagner's there. Susan B. Anthony, as far as I heard, is <laughs> giving her a trail. She, well, she's stamp. in the women's tent. <laughs> that, that building doesn't count the company was so pleased by the results of the world's fair that they offered Nancy a lifetime contract to play the character. And mind you too, the world's fair was what it was. It was like nine months long or something. It's the whole year. I it's feel like, like the whole year. It was a yeah. really long. So this is every day. She's doing this for like a year. This is not just like a state fair where it's like a couple of weeks. Just oh, and this keep- is also
1: the state fair, right? Where they didn't, they didn't, um, there were no African, American booths. Remember? So they they had the African village nearby, which was extremely racist, (laughs) but not African American booths. Yeah. So I think like, um, Molly or something was like, you can come and be in our booth for a day. They like dedicated a week to like American black people.
0: Yeah. Very upsetting. In, in this is the only country. Acceptable. Right. Miami is the only way. is the only way that black people like black Americans were represented in the Chicago World's Fair.
1: Hmm.
0: It's very upsetting. Hmm. 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 Uh, and obviously, as we talked about, Ida B. Wells had a lot to say about all this. Yeah. <laughs> she was hitting out pamphlets. She's, she's just like she's pissed up. She's not going because she's mad about the Yeah. yeah listen, this is a big alumni episode, oh, yeah. guys. <laughs> all the hits are here. <laughs> um her so. story's greatest hits. <laughs> so for the next Seven or 30 years. That fact is a little muddled. Uh, Nancy worked for the company. Seven or 30? Yeah, it was weird. (laughs) (laughs) I was, like, trying to, like, do the math. Because, like, I don't know. We'll get into it. Got it. it. So she traveled all over the U.S. demonstrating and selling Ready Pancake Mix. People wanted more, so the company decided to give her a backstory. We thought things were dicey before. Just you wait for the backstory that the ad company came up with for Aunt Jemima. I am fully prepared. (laughs) Is your breath baited? I think. (laughs) 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 Yes, it is. Aunt Jemima lived in a tiny cabin in Louisiana where she was the loyal cook for Colonel Higby, a plantation owner on the Mississippi. When Union soldiers during the Civil War threatened to storm his plantation and rip off his mustache, the story goes she diverted them with her pancakes long enough for the colonel to escape. The troops were so smitten with her pancakes that after the war, One of the soldiers, who happened to get a job at a flour mill, traveled back to that little cabin to find the mammy with the magic pancakes. He bought the recipe from her, but she insisted that she come back with him to make sure he did it right since her name and face was going to be on the box. And the rest is history. This led to her being known as the cook whose cabin became more famous than Uncle Tom's. (laughs) (laughs) I... Um, you didn't know it got this deep, did you? No, no I am really
1: upset by a, every second of that. That was really hard to listen to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like every sentence. I was like, I have something to say about that.
0: Oh, I have something to say about yep. that. And
1: now I'm. Speechless. And now you're just speechless. <laughs> exactly.
0: There was even a story published in 1920 that said General Lee himself would stop by Aunt Jemima's cabin to get pancakes. <laughs> This, this is, is some
1: Kentucky Fried Chicken yes. bullshit. This like, background. Okay.
0: <laughs> this was all in an effort, again, to not only sell more pancake mix, but to bring back the magic of the old South, Lady Antebellum, and have people reminisce about the good old days when the South was a true garden of Eden. Stop. Garden of Stop. Eaton. They did not say that. <laughs> wow. It's did like, their theme you know, song have I something mean, to do with Dixie? <laughs> Who? One, what war? It didn't matter when there was good Southern cooking on the table. (laughs)
1: Listen, (laughs) I will say, look, the North won this war, but they are complicit in letting old money do what they want in Uh the South
0: afterwards. Mm -hmm. Very Mm -hmm. much so. Just like, okay, slap on the wrist. (laughs) And here's the thing, Southern food, absolutely delicious, but... This whole cultivated like, well, racism doesn't matter because we all like Southern food. Right. It's like, <laughs> well, yes, we like Southern food, but uh-huh. also the racism was bad. Right. Like <laughs> we, can, we can acknowledge. We both. can
1: separate both things.
0: This story has continued and she eventually got family members. There was Uncle Rastus, later named Uncle Mose, to avoid confusion with the racist guy on the cream of wheat box, um, who was Uncle Rastus. And they had children, uh, Dilsey, Zeb, Dinah, and Abraham Lincoln. Pretend
1: children? hmm Did you hear the last one? It's, uh, I heard Abraham Lincoln... <laughs> Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. We uh, know that. We now. know that. <laughs> we know we know, we who's know in that. The it was Aunt Jemima. Who it was, was Aunt in the Jemima, and,
0: apparently, in the Dinah. kitchen with Dinah. So I'm glad that's all straightened out now. <laughs> um, <laughs> not someone. Um, they
1: named their child Abraham
0: Lincoln. Yes. <laughs> yes, Allie. That's Harry Potter. Because that's <laughs> what Aunt Jemima does. She brings together the north and the south over a big fluffy stack of pancakes. Okay. I've never said fluffy so many times in my goddamn life. This is true. Also (laughs)
1: true. Okay. So on our story yesterday, her story on the rocks, I posted, um, snow white and she's spray painting on a wall Mm -hmm. and it says only respecting women you're attracted to is not respecting women. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about this. Mm -hmm. Only respecting like a black person who you think is a good cook or is a good maid or is a good, this is not respecting black people. Exactly. It's using them. Yeah. They're Mm -hmm.
0: using her image. Yeah. Yes, oh they are. God. Okay. Um, so the children eventually just whittled down to Diana and Wade. <laughs> okay, and if you saved up enough box tops and dimes, you could send them into the company for rag dolls depicting the parents and their two kids. I bet Peg's done it. They're probably <laughs> the rag dolls were dressed in tattered clothes, but you could also get nicer clothing to put on them, so you could see them before and after she sold the recipe. Oh my God. And that was just the start of the merchandise empire that eventually included tea towels and cookie jars and whatever else you could possibly think of. In 1900, they wanted to make the brand uh, international by taking it to the 1900 Paris exhibition. But Nancy Green was like, I am absolutely not going across the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. Really? Yeah. She didn't want to. She was like, that's scary. (laughs) So they hired another woman named Agnes Moody to take her place. It was unclear whether Agnes became the new full-time Aunt Jemima or just for the Paris trip. The European Aunt Jemima. She's, like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's Aunt Jemima abroad?
0: Bonjour. Bonjour Aunt Jemima. <laughs> oui, oui. So. <laughs> Stop. Are they soufflés over there? Like, is she serving up? <laughs>
1: place okay anyways
0: she's making baguette out of this pancake (laughs) bag look ready baguette why eat a baguette when you can have fluffy pancakes okay so it's unclear again whether she was the full-time i don't think so but also after this there's a whole bunch of Aunt Jemimas around the country. Right. Because there's too many events and grocery stores to go to for there just to be one. They're
1: pumping them out. So um, it's like Santa Claus at Christmas in the mall. Exactly. Got it.
0: Um, So I do think that Nancy Green did do it for like the full like 30 years or whatever it was. Um, But then Agnes also became an Aunt Jemima. Mm -hmm. Um, But Nancy Green is the true original Aunt Jemima. And after the success of having her as the spokesperson, um... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Shit. And the success of having her as the spokesperson led to over 120 million boxes of pancake mix being sold every year by 1910. Whoa. That's a lot of pancake mix.
1: I wonder, is this like the first, like, black person that's fronting, like, yeah. a company seriously?
0: I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah.
1: on advertisement? Because I know they use, like, the negative... Caricatures and stuff for mm-hmm. a really long time, but that's I mean, it's pretty interesting to do that in advertising. Yeah,
0: it is. Um, the company even changed their name to Aunt Jemima Mill to reflect this best selling product and the woman who got them there. But for Nancy Green, it was always more about earning money for herself she was, so she could do more for her church, and that was the Olivet Baptist Church in Chicago. This is a very famous church. Um, she was an early member, and during her lifetime, it grew significantly, and it became the largest African-American church in the United States. Oh. By the end of her life, the membership was between nine and 10,000. Holy hell. <laughs> That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like one of those ones you see on TV exactly. when you're hungover on Sundays. Yep. She uh, also used her status to speak openly against poverty and in favor of equal white rights for individuals in Chicago. Um, but Nancy died suddenly on August 30th, 1923, in Chicago, hmm. when a car collided with a laundry truck and hurtled onto the sidewalk where she was standing. No way! No, she was 89 years old. So upsetting. Every so often, the rumor gets passed around that Nancy was one of the first black millionaires and she died a very wealthy woman. But the best fact-checking available tells us that she only made about $1,000 a year, which is about $35,000 in today's money. Well off, but no millionaire. Because if she was a millionaire, I don't think that she would have been buried in an unmarked grave in Oakwood Cemetery. Mm. That is until just a few years ago. A woman named Sherry Williams spent 15 years trying to uncover her final resting place and then started a fundraiser to get her a headstone. She reached out to Quaker Oats, the current owner of Aunt Jemima, about whether they would support a monument for Green's grave. Their corporate response was that Nancy Green and Aunt Jemima aren't the same. Aunt Jemima is a fictitious character. So they did not give any money. <laughs> Which, that surprises me. The Quakers are always good with shit like that. I know. And it's like, you can't buy a headstone. Like, let alone the descendants of the other Aunt Jemimas who were like suing them for like millions of dollars of like unpaid work. Yeah. like None of them got paid well. Right. And it's like, you can't just buy this woman a headstone. My God. She mi- because of her Your brand makes millions of dollars every Mm. year.
1: I wonder if they felt like if they bought one for her, then they'd have
0: to buy one for every person. That portrayed Aunt Jemima. Yeah. Probably.
1: It was probably some lawyer that, that's the problem. There's always something where it's like, oh, well, if you do this, then this happens. Slippery slope. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like the goodness of people's heart is usually like, I would love to do that. And then, you know, you get into big business and there's no
0: more goodness left. Nope expedia <laughs> so you bitch <laughs> <laughs> the headstone was placed on september 5th 2020 and uh shoot what was it <laughs> all right sorry again Sep- september the headstone was placed anyways on september 5th 2020 and maybe they didn't feel like they owed her anything because she died technically before they took over the company. Mm. Um, so she uh, died in 1923, and Quaker Oats bought Aunt Jemima in 1926. And Lillian Richard then took on the main full-time role of Aunt Jemima. She played the role for 25 years, and her hometown of Hawkins, Texas, was named the Pancake Capital of Texas in honor of her. Which is Aww, so sweet. oh cute. <laughs> Anna Robinson is our next Lady of Honor, and there is still a little overlap. You know, as I said, now they have to have multiples at a time. She was hired in 1933 to play Aunt Jemima for the 1933 Chicago Century of Progress Fair, but for this one, they had updated her giant flower barrel to a log cabin. <gasps> Ooh, very Dolly Parton of them. hmm and the company was thrilled with finding Anna Robinson because they said that her figure was more mammy-like than the past few women. They were a little too thin. Oh, they wanted a big mm-hmm. a big girl. She was a larger woman with a rounded face who looked more like Hattie McDaniel. Um, but she also brought that same energy that Nancy Green had brought all those years before. And she kind of revitalized the Aunt Jemima brand. And she brought back, like... A lot of the stuff that made it work in the beginning like the eyes in town honey slogan and mm. they came up with even more taglines for her advertisements like pancake days is happy days they Day sure needs me in this house and everyone's favorite show nuff hmm a lot going on here sounds like a character on saturday night live uh-huh. honestly And it's Anna Robinson's painted image, uh, fun fact, done by the same guy who did the Coca-Cola Santa, Mm -hmm. uh, that graced the boxes of Aunt Jemima pancake mix well into the 1980s. Yeah. (laughs) So she came on the scene in the 30s, and it was her image until the 80s. So for many people, Anna Robinson is your Aunt Jemima. So did she get paid adequately? No! Of course not. She got paid $1,200 a year, barely more than Nancy Green. The official Aunt Jemima history timeline once stated that she was able to make enough money to provide for her children and buy a 22-room house where she also rents room to boarders. But that was not true. Anna Robinson worked for them until she passed away in 1951, again, with not much money to her name. Anna Short Harrington was another Aunt Jemima during this same time period. She was born to sharecroppers in South Carolina and worked about the same years as Anna Robinson, but she just wasn't quite as famous. Mm. There was also Rose Woodcock McElroy, who played her on the radio during the Aunt Jemima radio hour edith wilson was the first aunt jemima to be on tv she was a well-established blues singer and she played her from the 40s until the 60s and edith wilson is interesting because she was also a dedicated educator of black history and she was one of the first black girl scout leaders Mm. eileen lewis played her at disneyland's aunt jemima pancake house which is also a thing she served pancakes, entertained the people, took pictures, and apparently became friends with Walt Disney himself. Is this still a thing? No. God no. No, oh, they got rid of that. Uh it's probably uh, around the Song of the South era. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they just
1: got rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> They're like turning it into the Tiana ride or something. That's Disney World, but Disneyland. Disneyland in California. Yeah. California. Okay.
0: Um, so the other women listed her as playing her on Wikipedia are Rose Washington Riles, Ethel Ernestine Harper, and Rosie Lee Moore Hall. Some of the later women did say that they started to speak up a bit and ask for updates like costume changes, but they were denied. And some of the women who worked mainly in the South in the 50s also asked for basic things like they're like, can we serve all customers on a first come first serve basis? Rather than white customers first, <laughs> uh, I don't think those requests were granted either. Surprise! Um, surprise! Can you even imagine being a black woman spokesperson and having and not to turn be, away black having people? To turn away? Yeah,
1: I cannot imagine. Yeah. Uh,
0: in the '60s, the company had a great idea that they premiered on an episode of Bewitched. So now we're seeing the TV world's. And the pancake world collide. Um, (laughs) Those are two worlds I've always (laughs) wanted to see together. So Samantha the witch, her husband Darren works for an ad agency. And he has just landed the Aunt Jemima account. The brand wants to start selling syrup. So they have to come up with a snappy tagline. So Samantha comes up with, Aunt Jemima, what took you so long? And with the syrup came a very small update. Aunt Jemima has a headband instead of a headscarf. So they're like, okay. Okay, sure. All right. Um, But yeah, I can't believe that the syrup didn't come until the 60s. I literally didn't even know that they made pancake mix. I feel like I knew (laughs) she was on other stuff, but I thought syrup was their initial
1: Mm -hmm. thing. I mean, it makes sense. If you're going to be marketing pancakes, syrup is like the next.
0: Yeah, that's why Samantha said, what took you so long? Yeah. What an idiot. Um, <laughs> it was funny, though. What I, an idiot. I also think of when, you know, obviously now I use real maple syrup because mm. Mora has guilted me into using real. Just kidding. It really is delicious, and it's not corn syrup. And $1,000 um, of a, yep, <laughs> an inch. Um, but I, <laughs> I just remember the look on Mora's face. When I was like, Yeah, I use like Aunt Jemima's syrup and she was like, Why? (laughs) She was like, It's not even real. She goes, It's just corn syrup with brown sugar in it. Uh huh. (laughs) It's like you can make that at home. I literally had no idea. Oh yeah. I had no idea that it was not real maple syrup. It's
1: just sugar. My dad only uses maple syrup. Yeah.
0: It's well funny. and you can get it like so i buy all my maple syrup from like trader joe's mm-hmm. now because it's the cheapest place to yeah. get.
1: Yeah, our fridge has it like my mom's fridge growing up because like we wouldn't use the real maple yeah. syrup cause it's too Cause expensive it's so expensive and kids like smother their pancakes oh. in syrup oh my gosh like it's their job
0: <laughs> katie like, like it, their pancake is a raft to the u.s from cuba <laughs> <laughs> um exactly just bringing it back to your person perfect love it um <laughs> that's what i've always wanted. <laughs> God, on a syrup sea. <laughs> um, okay. So the next big update on Aunt Jemima didn't come until eight, 1989 for her. 100th birthday same year as little mermaid uh-huh. came out and taylor <laughs> swift was born <laughs> aunt jemima got another makeover oh and the berlin wall fell down okay yeah. go <gasps> a lot going on <laughs> um so she gets a makeover it's her 100th birthday but also there was a lot of pressure coming from consumer groups that was like oh can course. we not it's 1989 <laughs> almost the 90s what are we doing <laughs> so she now had short permed hair mm-hmm. and rather than a headscarf or a headband she got pearl earrings And this is the Aunt Jemima. How classy. So classy. This is the Aunt Jemima that I grew up with. And frankly, like, her logo does remind me of walking down to the grocery store on snow days with my brothers and Mm -hmm. buying pancake mix and syrup. You know, so I do understand when people are like... Kind of sad about her image leaving, you know, because like I know it has warm memories for me, but obviously we've literally just discussed that it does not have warm memories for lots of people,
1: and it furthers a stereotype that we're trying to erase. Exactly. I think even if people don't know, you Mm -hmm. know, they're probably like, "Yay, representation!"
0: But it's like, is that the representation that we want? Exactly. But even though she didn't look like an enslaved woman anymore, the entire Anjumima brand obviously still carried this exact negative history that we've been talking about. And for many years, people continued to ask, why are we still using these images of Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben and Uncle Rastus, who obviously have a very complicated and racist history? And to be clear, this isn't just another like millennial woke thing, cancel culture, whatever. Black scholars have been writing about the problem with Aunt Jemima since 1918, it's not fucking new. It's a World War One issue? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on June 17th, 2020, Quaker Oats announced that the Aunt Jemima brand would be discontinued and replaced with a new name and image to make progress towards racial equality. They took her image off of the box immediately. Um, and then Uncle Ben's rice and cream of wheat also followed suit shortly after. And on February 9th, 2021, PepsiCo, who now owns all of this, because everybody owns everybody, uh, they announced that the replacement brand name would be Pearl Milling Company. So it all comes back back to to those two original guys who bought it in the 1890s. But like all things, people had mixed reactions to this abandonment of the Aunt Jemima character. Many people were glad and they said it's about time. But other people were like, you know, oh, you're really worried about a woman on a syrup bottle. Like there are more important things to focus on. Like you stupid touchy snowflakes, which is like, I hate that fucking argument. It's like, Yes, of course, like there are lots of things that are important to focus on, but stop gaslighting people into thinking that it's not okay to be also upset about this horribly racist history of this thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, but descendants of some of the women who played Aunt Jemima were also in the kind of unhappy camp. Anna Harrington's great grandson, Larnell Evans, said, this is an injustice for me and my family. This is a part of my history. You know, and he's like, now she's totally being erased. And Lillian Richards' descendants said, I wish we could take a breath and not just get rid of everything because good or bad, it is our history. Removing that takes away a part of us, and we are actually very proud of our cousin. So, you know, it's like they're feeling like their relative's hard work has been completely erased now, you know, which I do... I do understand, but on the other hand, it's like, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson said it well. He said, it's not that Aunt Jemima was a symbol of a racist past. She was the very embodiment of a racist past, you know. She will not be missed by anyone who knew that, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like...
1: It's just so hard because they're like, you hear very similar arguments about Civil War statues. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're trying to erase history. And it's like, no, we're not. We're trying to take that history and put it, instead of in a place of honor, put it in a place of remembering. Like, we should keep those statues, but they shouldn't be out in public as a place of honor. Right. Right. And the same thing is true of like these racist symbols. Like, mm-hmm. you don't want that in a grocery store for everybody to see so that when people do look into it, you're like, oh okay i guess everybody's
0: okay with this then yeah Mm
1: -hmm. um that's it's just so hard but you have to make those choices yeah
0: when i and i think that that's why actually the choice to rename it pearl milling company is actually a really great decision because that's going back to what this originally was which Mm -hmm. was a revolutionary product it was absolutely amazing to have a ready mix in a personal package Mm -hmm. like that's the incredible thing about aunt jemima and also, like it was awesome to have these black women able to get out there and have these jobs and you know, do this and like be the first black brand ambassadors. Like yeah. that is really fucking cool.
1: I mean their their other option is to do what Disney did, which mm-hmm. is like on Disney Plus, all mm-hmm. those movies, they like, Hey, Peter Pan, this movie has X, Y, Z. Yeah. We don't believe that now. This is something of the past. They also could have included that on every product. Yeah. Almost like a surgeon's general warning. Like, this goes here because we need people to know.
0: Yeah. And also, like, let's not forget that, like, it's not even just that, like, oh, it had a racist past and I didn't know. Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben have also been used as slurs. Yes. So it's not yes. Like it's not yes. in our Yeah that is true. It's lexicon. in our vernacular, you yes, know? It is. Like, you're right. You're right. Barry Pressgraves, a 77-year-old mayor of a town in Virginia, was censured after he referred to Kamala Harris as Aunt Jemima when she was announced as Biden's VP pick. John Sylvester of WTYDY whatever AM drew criticism after calling Condoleezza Rice an Aunt Jemima and Colin Powell an Uncle Tom. He apologized by giving away free pancake mix and syrup. (laughs) What a dick. But this is the thing. There's also this matter. Is like these symbols are not just symbols. They have. You're right. They have entered our vernacular. We know that they are slurs mm-hmm. by saying them. Oh yeah. So it's not like we are not acknowledging the racist past every day. Mm-hmm. So you can't say that there is still no harm in these stereotypes. Um, but there can also be joy, I think, in celebrating the women who portrayed her. And like a lot of things that are complicated, I think that two things can be true and exist at the same time. I think we can appreciate the woman who worked hard playing this role while also acknowledging that the entire thing is fucked up and racist. It is possible to keep Nancy Green while letting go of Aunt Jemima. I don't have all the answers we've said, like the feelings are really complicated, but I hope that our listeners have gotten some useful information on this very interesting history of this American figure. Cause I just think it's better to know more information about this than having a gut reaction of like, well, I used to walk down on snow day. Like I said, like I had very warm feelings towards this brand, but then it's like, Oh I didn't know that it had this awful history. Well, you know, we kind of know. Yeah. But like, it's good to have those details of them making up that story and like, you know, the rag dolls, like every little bit of it kind of paints a better picture of, why it was time to retire this.
1: And it, it's hard too, because a lot of times when you end up getting in discussions with your family or in bars and stuff, the facts that come up are the clickbait. And the mm-hmm. clickbait is, well, they died millionaires. Those women died millionaires. Why are we going to take that away from them? Like things like that come up. And then you feel a little bit like, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. Because I don't know all the facts. So yeah. when you have like, all the history, you can say, well, actually, A, that's not true. Mm -hmm. And B, let's, like, rewind. yeah, (laughs) Be kind, rewind. And let's Mm -hmm. look at where this started. I I mean, this is exactly what I wanted to know, and I'm glad you had to do the research.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I'd like to thank the History Chicks and Dig. (laughs) Because they really did the research for me this week. Perfect. Um, But, yeah, I thought it was a great story. It was a great story,
1: (laughs) wonderful to learn, delightful cocktail. Yes. Truly enjoyed. All right. Five for part two. Five stars. (laughs)
0: Podcast part two. Part two. Back with a very fun, fruity drink. It looks exciting. What
1: is it? It is called La Reina de Musica. Listen, my Duolingo is really kicking it. (laughs) It means the queen of music. Mm. And it is in a cocktail shaker. You put white rum, hazelnut liqueur, and uh, you mix that. Oh, and lime juice. And you mix that all together and put it in the bottom of a champagne glass. Then you top it with champagne or bubbly, whatever. And then you put, you sink some. Grenadine to the bottom, good, good. and then you top it with a maraschino cherry and a lime
0: wedge. I love it. So much fancier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Yes.
1: Mm. I didn't expect the rum and hazelnut to be as strong, mm-hmm.
0: and I like it. I love the hazelnut. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That's really nice. I've never. I didn't even know they made hazelnut yeah. liqueur.
1: <laughs> it's nice. It, fe- it mm. tastes really good. Mm-hmm. It. I don't know. I I keep every time now I make a cocktail. I'm like, have I made that before? Oh, so I'd I make like the make one thing. crazy ingredient, which it doesn't yep. really matter. It no. Doesn't really matter. No. Nobody's judging us based no. on this, <laughs> except for Miss Miss and Mister Krista. Yeah, but <laughs> other than that, everybody else just listens to the show. Yeah. Hi everybody.
0: Oh. Oh. Also, I want to. Oh, give we got a, a great shout message. Out yeah. Maureen. I also, Maureen, I'm not going to lie. Maureen said that she was named after her grandfather, Maurice, because we were talking about namesakes. Crazy old Maurice. That was exactly (laughs) what I thought. And now every time you send us a message, I'm going to think, crazy old (laughs) Maureen. And I want you to know it's not because I think you're crazy in any way. It's just because of the stranglehold that Disney movies yeah. had on me as mm-hmm, a child. 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like a tale as <laughs> old as time when <laughs> I see a bassinet. All I can think of is, and all oh, the <laughs> Um <laughs> That's it. That's what you can think of. That's what I think of. Cool. And that's what I bought my brother for his new baby. <laughs> well, anytime <a> <laughs> somebody
1: says <laughs> something I don't agree with in my head, I Harry Potter, go! You liar!
0: (laughs) I thought you were going to say, "We'll take the lot."
1: Sometimes (laughs) that's the other thing. Anytime I'm really impatient, I go, "I've done my waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Twelve years of it. It has (laughs) to be." I yell a lot of things from Harry Potter movies. Uh. I brought up Harry Potter too much tonight. What? Too much? Maybe four times already? Really?
0: I didn't even catch the first couple. When you listen back, it's going to be a problem. Okay. Okay. Alright, but yeah. Maureen. Okay. I
1: Praise want you to. Maureen. Maureen.
0: <laughs> what a great message. And I love naming a girl Maureen after yeah. Maurice. I think Perfect. that's delightful. It is. All okay. right. What do you know about <laughs> Celia Cruz? <laughs> I don't know anything. Okay. I feel like she reminds me of like maybe like a Charo kind of figure. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I but yeah, I don't know anything. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
1: she just has a pleasant story. Oh, it's relatively a pleasant story. She had a happy life. She had a decently long life. She had a lot of success. She worked her ass off. And I just like, I understand why she was requested. And I think I must have to be missing some glaring negativity somewhere (laughs) in her story. But if not like great.
0: Yay. Yeah. I love it when this happens, When
1: it's just like, I was digging. I was really digging. Okay, first thing you need to know is her name is not only Celia Cruz. It is Ursula Herrera Celia de la Caridad Cruz Alfonso.
0: got some jets, and now we got them, boys. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. Ursula. It's a really
1: good name. I love that. It's a good name. <laughs> she was also born really close to your birthday, October 21st. <gasps> oh, my
0: gosh. Yes. That's my friend Hannah's birthday. Oh,
1: great day. Mm. Great day good for you hannah (laughs) so october 21st 1925 in cuba her dad was simon cruz and he was a railway worker and her mom was catalina ramos which is also one of your friend's last names oh yeah yeah crazy Mm -hmm. here we go anyway and she was a homemaker celia okay sources are wild here one source said she's the oldest of 14 children whoa a, lots of kids That's but then another kid. source said like she was the oldest of three siblings but their mom took in a whole bunch of cousins and then she also had step siblings okay so i can't i couldn't really figure out how many actual full blood siblings she had but it doesn't mm-hmm. matter because no. it's a chosen family and if your yeah. mom's taken in kids then you have a lot of siblings if you
0: felt like you had 14 siblings yeah you, 14 siblings.
1: <laughs> if you felt like your family was stretched that thin yeah. then here we go <laughs> and she was the oldest in all in every story. So she often would hold the kids and sing them to sleep. According to her mom, she began singing before she began talking. She was nine or 10 months old and she would sing to herself in the middle of the night to soothe herself in her crib. Mm. She would also sang in her school days and in her neighborhood ensemble. So she was just out and about singing all the time, but she was growing up in a really Really diverse Cuba. It's in the 1930s. It's very multicultural. The music is multicultural. There are Catholic hymn influences. There are um, African influences. There are Native American, Native Central and South American influences. There's Latin and Spanish influences. So her music background is just so, like robust Mm -hmm. I would say and she took a lot of pride in her life in being a black Hispanic woman Mm -hmm. I think that we very regularly forget that like when we say black and brown like Hispanic women are both black and brown yeah Mm -hmm. and white really depending on if um (laughs) how deep the rape goes in your line right like far back if you're talking about like people coming from Spain and Portugal Mm -hmm. and like raping the women and ruining the villages you've got a lot going on there's Mm -hmm. it's a very multicultural Mm -hmm. area so she even starts studying Western African languages so that she can sing backup at performances she's like I want to be able to like be fully incorporated in all the different types of Mm -hmm. music As a teenager, her aunt took her to sing in cabarets, but her father really wanted her to attend school and become a teacher. Go Mm -hmm. and get a job. Mm -hmm. Do what you're supposed to do. After high school, she does what her dad wants. She goes to the normal school for teachers in Havana with the intent of becoming a teacher of literature. Mm. At the time, though um a singer was not viewed as a very uh respectable career it was kind of like acting Mm -hmm. in america like Mm -hmm. where it's like you're seen as kind of a slut shamed for doing it Mm -hmm. uh but she soon found out that an entertainer could make in a day what a teacher makes in like a year so she was like okay (laughs) and she immediately switches her major in college to study musical theory voice and piano wow so
0: she's like if i'm gonna do it I'm going to really do it right.
1: I'm going to do I'm not just going to jump in and be on the radio. I'm going
0: to learn music. I love uh-huh. that. Because I also think that people underappreciate, you know, good like, musicians. Good musicians. Mm-hmm. You know. There
1: are people with natural talent for sure. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. But people who understand musical theory are a different breed. Yeah. hmm And then the people who have it, as Simon <laughs> Cowell would say. <laughs> you don't have it. So I was like, damn. <laughs> I want to have it. Okay. <laughs> One day, her cousin took her to Havana's radio station, where she became a contestant on an amateur radio contest. This was her first time ever using a microphone. And she sang a tango song and won first prize. And it was a cake first prize
0: no was a cake
1: but okay Okay, you know cake cuban cake i don't what kind of cake do they have in cuban it's not smith island cake rum cake that would be great Rum raisin i hope (laughs) i i'm gonna have to look into cuban cakes yeah i don't know so she wins medals on the radio she wins big competitions and small competitions Every amateur contest she enters, she gets first prize. All of them. So, we didn't find out about this early 20s section of her life until later. But around this time, Celia is kind of living in a very politically unstable Cuba. And obviously, there's a big socialist-communist takeover kind of happening um and later when she is in and out of the u.s the government is definitely watching her they are Mm. worried about her affiliations but her husband and her fellow performers later in life are like she never talked about politics yeah she did not care it was because she was cuban that she was blacklisted yeah which is really troublesome Mm -hmm. so this woman, Isolina, was a Cuban composer and one of the first people to be really, like, recognize Celia as, like, the next up-and-coming thing. And she asks her, join my singing group for a performance, and this really starts her participation in ensembles. Ooh, her okay. early career is all ensembles, no solo work. So she is singing in Havana's most popular cabarets. She's hired as a dancer, as a singer, and she's very successful in Mexico and in Venezuela. And she starts making her first ever recordings. She's Mm -hmm. recording all over Latin America. Her big break comes in 1950 when this super famous singer, Mirta Silvia, returns home to Puerto Rico. So now there's an empty slot in this band and they want her to fill the lead singer spot. And she's like, yeah, I'll do it. But they're taking a chance on her because she is their first black front woman. Okay. And people were not happy with it at first. Mm. I think some of that is heartache over losing the band's original front person. Yeah. Like I can understand that. I was really mad when ginger spice left.
0: (laughs) But at some point, well, it reminds me of when Dolly Parton took over on the Porter Wagner show, and the people were pissed. People were pissed. So like, we don't know this woman. Like, is she going to be as good as whoever was on before? I don't even. Re- nobody remembers her name. Um, no, I'm sure a ton of people yeah. do. But you know, it's like that feeling of losing something you're familiar with is so hard for people. Yeah,
1: even like. Um, Kelly Rippa taking over for Kathy Lee. Oh, like people were like, "I was devastated." Regis and Kelly, ew. Who and now we're all that? like, "I love Kelly." Yeah, she's drop dead the best. I love her.
0: When Casey and I were staying in a hotel okay. in DC Monday mm-hmm. morning, we got to watch live with Kelly and Ryan. Perfect, right? It was great. They're best friends. I love it. But Um, they're also
1: like of a wealthy class. I don't understand the
0: conversations they talk about. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand it. But it it just, like, you know this Mm -hmm. Regis and Kelly, previously Regis and Kathleen, that was my morning show when Mm -hmm. I was a kid. I fucking loved it. So it was so nice watching it again. Uh Anyways, but yes, agree. This is the same thing. It is. (laughs) This is exactly (laughs) the same thing. So.
1: In her first rehearsal with the group, she meets her future husband, Pedro Knight, who is one of the band's trumpeters. Um, And again, she wasn't received great by the public at first, but the band had a ton of faith in her. They were Mm -hmm. like, she's good. She's up and coming. She'll last for a long time. By December 15th, 1950... Celia records her first song with the group, and people fall in love with her. Oh, of course. course. And then she participates in this group for 15 years. Wow. They record 188 songs. She wins her first gold record. She makes her first trip to the United States. During her time with the band, she's in Mexican films. Like, she is a star. Wow. For people who know what they're talking about in this type of music yeah mm-hmm. but then the cuban revolution happens and this is i mean the 1960s this is the cuban missile crisis this is when they're like the soviet union is putting nukes on cuba to shoot at washington dc like mm-hmm. this is very very dangerous the new cuban regime really disapproved of her going abroad you shouldn't be in Mexico, you shouldn't be in Venezuela, and you especially should not be in the United States of America. Mm. So she was out on a tour, and when she attempted to come back to Cuba, she was refused reentry. And she never returned to her home ever again. Oh to her God. home. God. Had no idea. It's not like she packed to leave and never come back. She was out on tour and lost everything.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's awful. Yeah.
1: After only a month in Mexico, she received word that her father died, but she wasn't allowed to return to see him. Mm. She eventually left Mexico to perform in the United States, and she spent a lot of time in L.A. and bought a house in New York. And then her mom got sick with bladder cancer. And again, she petitioned to visit Cuba to see her mom. But she was denied. And pretty soon, her mother died without her ever seeing her again. Oh my God. And think about all the siblings she has there. The cousins, the siblings. Like, yeah. she's disconnected from them forever. Yeah. They're gone. She does marry her bandmate, Pedro Knight, in a civil ceremony And um, she and him and their group make their first international like across the ocean tour. Not just America, but they go all over Europe and they go to Japan and they're playing with Tito Puerte Mm -hmm. and they're like, it's great. And her and her husband... Solid soulmates. Yeah. They get married. They're married for the rest of their lives. Oh, they're so in love. I love that it's perfect. Mm. They're happy.
0: <laughs> Celia and Pedro. You it's, know. that's beautiful. I love that story. Like when that yes, happens, because it's so rare, especially for like musicians. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, another similar to Dolly Parton. Yeah, no mess, no fuss, just true love, just ah, true love. Love it.
1: Minus Jolene. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> as she. Then, though, begins a solo career. She starts stepping away from a little ensemble work. Her husband goes, you know what? I'm going to quit the band, too. And I am going to represent you. Mm. And I'm going to arrange your music. And I'm going to be your director. And they're just so happy. Mm. And then she becomes an American citizen. (gasps) She finds a new home that accepts her, except the FBI is watching her. But but she becomes an American citizen. (laughs) So she does start to do some collaborative work with Tio Puerte, um, and they put out an album. They actually put out four albums together, and they work together from the 70s through the 90s. She is with the lead salsa label in the U.S., and this kind of reminds me when we did the um, Selena Quintanera episode. Yeah, Quintanilla. Mm -hmm. How she... Like, was not as respected in Latin American music because she wasn't a native Spanish speaker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is so very different. Like, this woman was fully accepted yeah. everywhere. Oh, that's so cool. And, but this is also the kind of person that they wanted Selena to be. And she right. was trying to pull away from that type of image. Right. So, it's very, it was just interesting to me. I was comparing it in my head. Mm-hmm. Her association with this group, like I said, lasted most of her career, and she's all over the world with it. She's, um, they like, in musicals, she's in commercials, her costumes start becoming really flamboyant. Like I said, <laughs> there's wigs and tight sequin dresses and high, high, high heels and feathers and wings, and she just looks amazing. One of her costumes is currently in the Smithsonian Institute, the American... Oh. Of American history. So it's in Washington, D.C. So we can see her stuff.
0: I bet I saw it and didn't even realize Probably. It because they have this. So they've been doing all these new kind of sections. Mm-hmm. And there was one all about like Latin American like heritage. And it was so fucking cool. And actually speaking. We mentioned rafts from Cuba. Mm-hmm. They have in there <gasps> an actual raft that people use to get here. And it was Incredible! It amazing. was amazing, like, and it was not what I expected. It was made of like styrofoam, <gasps> which is like I guess that makes sense. It's buoyant, but yeah. Across the Caribbean, yeah. there's fucking sharks there. Highly recommend this wing. It is okay, fascinating, and they are. So, it's like very inclusive, and they have all these different things from like all the different cultures, and like I don't know. It's very fucking. It's a very cool portion of the Smithsonian. I'm terrified that I just got to see. Terrified. So. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. I like I was really excited to hear that they have it there as like a portion of American history Mm -hmm. because it is such American history. It's the same way when people are like women's history is history. Black history is American history. Latin American history is so deeply American history. It's American history before (laughs) Americans. Like it's so deep. Um, And especially she became famous with a lot of her radio shows and her radio spots because she said, I am the voice of Cuba far away. Mm. And Miami picked her up because as we know, there are little Italys all over America mm-hmm. and there are Chinatowns all over America but there is one little Havana. Yeah. And it is in Miami. Yeah. These people who came over on rafts, who escaped, who got out ahead of time, who are not allowed to go home to their country yeah. for decades. And she is their spokesperson. <laughs> I she love that. She is their that. hero. So this is just a fun little Tidbit story: While she was having dinner one night at a restaurant in Miami, a waiter asked her if she wanted sugar in her coffee. To which she answered, "Chico, you're Cuban. How can you even ask me that? Con azúcar." <laughs> she loved retelling this story to her audience on stage, and it turned into her regularly yelling "azúcar" <laughs> at random. Uh, so. Maybe I should put some sugar in this cocktail. I, know, I was just that. <laughs> but I, so I'm obsessed with that.
0: That's so great.
1: <laughs> Among all the amazing things she did, she did a performance in Madison Square Gardens, which is rated in the Guinness Book of World Records as the largest outdoor concert with an audience of over 250,000 people, because she performed at free concerts. Mm-hmm. She was very big on attending concerts that people could go to for free. And there is a massive Hispanic population in New York city. Mm -hmm. So it was, it's great for her to just be out there so people can come and see her. But it wasn't until 1990 that she won her first Grammy for best tropical Latin performance, which is (laughs) one they give out during commercials. I guess a specific (laughs) award, such a specific (laughs) award. (laughs) The same year, she did get to go back to Cuba, but only to the Guantanamo Naval Base. They what? wouldn't let her into actual Cuba, just the American Naval Base. <sighs> At that time, she took a Ziploc baggie of dirt home with her, mm. and it was eventually buried with her. Oh in my her grave. In 94, she received the National Endowment of the Arts from Bill Clinton, which is the highest... Recognition a US artist can get. She in the 90s appeared in a ton of films, like Spanish speaking films, films in Mexico, Hollywood films, I love that where she her. was just like a Spanish speaking part. Um, and she received a lot of Latin Grammys as well, and at the Latin Grammys, she performed with people like Mark Anthony and Aretha franklin oh. and in two thousand and two still, still
0: looks like Aretha franklin she does
1: <laughs> isn't she beautiful? Yeah, she really is in two thousand and two she underwent surgery for breast cancer. And was doing fine and was ready to go back, but then she fell on stage <gasps> no. at a concert in Mexico, oh. and they found out that she had cancer in her brain as well and needed new surgery. She's like, I'm not worried about it. We're going to do the surgery. I'm going to get right back on stage. But she only made two more public appearances. One was at the Grammys, where, of course, she won, or, and they were also making tribute to her, later on the U S Hispanic network along with Gloria Estefan, Mark Anthony, Patty LaBelle. Like she's such a big name that I didn't know was a name. Yeah. Like I didn't know who she was. She's like with these like top line people. Yeah. She died in 2003 at her home in New Jersey at 77 years old. Uh, Her remains were sent to Miami for two days Mm -hmm. so that all of the exiled Cubans could come (laughs) and see her. And then her body was returned to the Bronx to go to rest. She has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She has a wax figure. She has three honorary doctorates, one from Yale, one from Florida international, and one from the university of Miami. She is the, in the Latin music hall of fame. She has a music school in New York city named after her. There's an off Broadway musical about her life. She has a postage stamp. She has a Google doodle. (laughs) (laughs) She has all the things you're supposed to have. And in 2018, they unveiled a statue of her in the Cuban Heritage Park in Florida. Mm -hmm. And that is Celia's story. I'm sure there's so many cute anecdotes about her, but mostly this week I watched videos of her performing um, on stage. And she performs in Spanish and I it didn't matter that there was a language barrier. She is dynamic. She's dynamic. Yeah. And it was just, it was so fun to watch. And I think she's amazing. And I'm so happy for the people who requested her because she's not somebody who would have ever been on our radar. And it was a joy to research. Yeah. I never felt stressed. Mm. I never felt uncomfortable. I was sad. She didn't get to see her parents again or like go back to Cuba. But I was also like, what a great life. What a great love story. What a great like economic success story. I love it. Good for her. Good for her. <laughs> now, if you've read her autobiography and there's more, let me know. Let us know. And then I will add a little uh, addendum to this episode. Perfect.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to get into horoscopes? I am. All right. Season 13. Ooh, horoscope ooh, ooh. season. We're
1: getting close to the end, too. <sighs> I Amazing. Know. I can't believe it. Okay. Celia was born October 21st, 1925, and her horoscope says that she is restless and lacking in continuity. Hmm. Unsettled in both mind and body, she needs activity and a good deal of exercise. You want to always feel free to roam and wander both physically and mentally, and that her emotions are jubilant, enthusiastic, and highly optimistic. You're socially naive and blissfully unaware of real human differences, <laughs> and you meet people on their terms. Wow. I think that really fits with her. That fits her so well. What, she's a
0: Libra, right? Yeah. Um. Wait, so October 21st, yeah, she would be a Libra. Libra, Libra. okay. Uh, that, I feel like, fits her very well. Of like, I don't know, needing simulation, being restless, kind of uh-huh. going from thing to thing. Thing
1: to thing, Can't not settled, can't yeah. really go home, really yeah. energetic. When you see her mm-hmm. on stage, I'm like... Yeah, that's a
0: workout up there. (laughs) Perfect. So I decided for Aunt Jemima to do Nancy Green's birthday, which was March 4th, 1834, which makes her a Pisces. So the furthest the website would let me go back was 1900. Wow. (laughs) I didn't know there was a limit. Yeah, the limit is 1900, baby. The limit does not exist. March 4th, 1900. You are emotionally in tune with someone close and able to pick up on what remains unsaid between you. With Venus on your side, you can also create a more positive relationship right now, which will help you with your work. This time around, you are in a stronger position. I kind of feel like it does fit in a weird way because, you know, like emotionally in tune with... What remains unsaid, I feel like with Aunt Jemima, like with the women portraying her, there was a lot remaining unsaid, yeah, and I feel like the people who understood got it, and the people who didn't did it, you know didn't um but but, yeah, and I feel like I don't know i it's an interesting one because obviously this is a weird mix of fictional character, but real people that are portraying her um but I don't know. And I feel like it ends with her being in a stronger, it says you're in a stronger position now. And uh, I feel like Aunt Shmime is in a stronger position now where we can appreciate her for what she was and the people that portrayed her, you know? And have educated discussions about it. Yes. I mean, that's the that, that's the strongest position you can take. Right. Knowledge. An educated one. Right. Um, yeah. So it kind of fits in a weird way.
1: Amazing.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, now we need to talk about these two women in conversation with each other in a little segment we like to call Just, Just the, two the Two of us. us. This one's kind of hard. It is very hard. Um, But I w- did
1: feel interested mm-hmm. in the backstory between slavery And the understanding of communism Mm -hmm. and how people were kind of like, it's very different in the way that the government targeted people, but similar in the sense that like a lot of people who were ethnic were Mm -hmm. targeted as being part of the communist regime. Oh, yeah. So I just, that's something that I picked up on even though it was a very small part of Celia's story.
0: Well, I feel like they were living in very politically unstable worlds, mm-hmm. you know, and who oh, doesn't yeah. live in a politically unstable world, frankly. Um, but I feel like these two women specifically were almost used as like political pawns. Like mm-hmm. I feel like Cuba was making a, a statement with Celia mm-hmm. of like I don't care how fucking popular you are you're not coming back here because you went to America and that's against our rules right. and it's like something and it's like that is <laughs> so out of the realm of like what Celia was interested in mm-hmm. like Celia was not interested in like going in between and being a spy for the United States no <laughs> and i feel like that's kind of the thing with like especially the women who portrayed Aunt Jemima they are now Post mortem, m- most of them or all of them in uh, this very hot political debate of like, what do we do with these racist depictions? Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like they are caught in the middle, like Celia, and we have to make examples of them when it's like, that wasn't their fault. They right. or the Hattie McDaniel, they are making do with the world that they live in, which is what Celia had to do. She's like, okay, this is the world I live in. I can't go back home. I have to make the best of the situation. Mm. And that's what these women were doing. I have to make the best of it, and this is what I'm going to do. And I think it it puts
1: them in this weird position of being a full-time spokesperson uh-huh. for something you didn't necessarily want to be a spokesperson of. So Celia wanted to create music, and mm-hmm. she became the guidepost for Cuban exiles. Yeah. And it's the same thing that happened to the women that are portraying Aunt Jemima. It's becoming, you know... You are the spokesperson for this brand, but also for this race, racist depiction of black women mm-hmm. from the
0: 1800s. And I don't know how to accept that. Yeah. It's very complicated. It's like asking these women who are like, I'm here to entertain mm-hmm. and then asking them to like answer for these crazy intense problems of the world like racism and slavery and communism like that is so much to put on these women who are there to entertain and to make people feel better which they both succeeded in Mm -hmm. frankly it's like you know of course we look back at Aunt and some people don't feel so good but in the time like As fucked up as it was, like, Aunt Jemima was, like, bringing joy to people. She's making pancakes. She's making people feel good. Like, was it good in the long run? No, because it perpetuated this horrible idea of the South. But it's, like, they were there as entertainers, as spokespeople, and that's a lot to put on people. And I was thinking a lot, too, about, you know, obviously Celia is a singer, And some of the Aunt Jemimas would sing to their customers, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think a lot about, like, is Celia singing songs that, like, maybe do have a rich historical, you know, significance? And, like, you know, we just don't know, Mm -hmm. you know? Is that a song that, like, her family sang? And, like, that's important to her. And, like, Aunt Jemima singing songs to customers that, like... some of the anci- Nancy Green was an enslaved woman. Right. They for, could be hymns, life. like hymns, like slave yeah. hymns that she sang. And some of the stories she told, like, some were crafted by the company, some were her own stories, mm. you know? And it kind of feels like, what is the line between, you know, selling this cultural experience? Yeah. You know?
1: I think uh, one thing we maybe didn't address at all, too, is how. Both of them made, I think, people's lives easier. Mm-hmm. So I think, and Jemima, like, when people are like, "Yeah, I made pancakes from scratch," I'm like, "But why? <laughs> like, it like, it's a very to me, it is like, f- women when these came out, women didn't work full time. Like now, mm-hmm. we need shit like that. I need yeah. everything in a box. I don't have time. Yeah. to get the right amount of flour, the right amount of sugar, mm-hmm. the right. And if I if I want to, sure, I can yeah. do it, but I don't. Have to. And that's really yeah. nice. And that's something mm-hmm. that was eased as pressure on me. Mm-hmm. And I think women in the United States of Hispanic or Spanish speaking descent having music that they didn't have to try to listen uh, to, that yeah. they could just enjoy because it was sung in their language.
0: Yeah.
1: I think that's a beautiful thing to not have to try mm-hmm. to enjoy music. And I think everybody. Should not have to try to enjoy art. Yeah. It should be easy. Now, I'm not like against like reading subtitles and shit like that. Like, go for it. Like, yeah. make, try to experience the world in as many ways as you can. But if you're home from a hard day and trying to clean your house and want to throw on the radio mm-hmm. and you can listen
0: to somebody sing in your language, yeah. That's amazing. It is amazing. And you're right. I love kind of the ease that these women brought into people's lives, mm-hmm. you know? And I also think that. It's interesting that you talked a lot about the end end of her life, like people trying to preserve her image. They're putting up statues of her. You know, they're making paintings. They're giving her honorary degrees. They're putting a star on the Walk of Fame for her. Meanwhile, Aunt Jemima's image is coming back. It's going away. It's Mm. retracting. And I think that it's the difference about having someone who's really celebrating a realness of people than you know some Celia Cruz is herself she is naturally herself that is who she is and that's why we can celebrate her Aunt Jemima is totally crafted and that's why it does kind of have to recede to make more room because I like to think of it in this way of like we're giving this racist depiction less space so more people can know about Celia Cruz you know Mm -hmm. why can't we think of it like that right of like yeah I would love to know who seal. I didn't know who she was, and like I would love for there to be more images of her out there because she is a positive natural image, and Aunt Jemima was crafted to make us feel a certain way, and that does kind of leave a bad feeling in my stomach of like I was supposed to look at her and feel comforted when I walked to the grocery store on snow days. That is something they. They crafted her to make me feel that way. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, she was for us. I mean, she was made for white people to feel comfortable. Exactly. And like Celia is just so authentically herself. Yeah. And both Nancy, Nancy Green and Celia Cruz are American citizens. Yes. They are both black women. They are both, you know, they speak different languages and have different images, but they are the American story that we are not telling. Yep. Exactly. So cool.
0: Mm. All right. Anything else to say? No. I feel like that's all I had. Yeah, I feel like that was good. That's grand. All right. So, who would you like to toast this evening? So, I think I just I want to teach
1: our toast. I want to toast people who are living in a country where it's not the native language oh, that they grew yeah. up speaking. I. I have never, ever, more than the last two years, been more aware of the language privilege mm-hmm. that I hold and that my children hold, and I am every day learning how I can better be inclusive to non-English speaking students and families. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea, yeah, the amount. Ima- like I have been so sequestered in such a white christian like Mm
0: -hmm.
1: neighborhood my whole life i just had no idea and i am actually pretty ashamed of it so i i'm learning i'm trying to learn and i'm trying to do better and i think we all should for people like celia absolutely cheers cheers how
0: about you i am going to toast The women behind the brands, (laughs) whether it's in literal spokeswoman, you know, like Aunt Jemima and you have someone like, you know, Nancy Green behind Mm -hmm. it, or, you know, just women who have good ideas in corporate America that are totally snuffed out. Yeah. I just want to celebrate them because they're there and we just aren't really acknowledging them. Exactly. And so I want to toast the women. (laughs) Behind the Brands. Cheers Cheers. Cheers to the women. (laughs) Uh, All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay.
1: Everybody, Taylor Swift put out a new album. (laughs) Okay. Are you proud of me? I've been listening to You have been.
0: So you've listened to Midnight. I have not the whole thing. Okay. I don't have that kind of time. So
1: she put out the album, Midnight, at Midnight, on Mm -hmm. the day it released, Mm -hmm. But then she also put out three bonus songs at
0: 3 a.m. that you have to listen
1: to. So... Thing A, antiheroes great. Mm-hmm. Best song on the Agreed. album. Think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. However, her 3 a.m. songs, I was blown away. Mm-hmm. There's one called Bigger Than the Whole Sky. Okay. You'll have to listen to it on the way home. Okay. I listened to it and I said, I think Taylor Swift had a miscarriage. And then oh. I played it for Caroline and Eliza and I said, I want you to listen to this song. And I I prepped them because they're not going to think miscarriage. But I was right. like, tell me what you think. And they listened to the first chorus and they were like, maybe she just broke up with somebody. And then by the end of the song, they were like, oh, no, she definitely had a miscarriage. Wow. So then we Google it and everybody thinks everybody that. Everybody thinks that. And even okay. if they don't, even if that's not true, it's such a comforting I mean, the lyrics are just, like, literally, what did I do wrong? Right. Like, goodbye. Like, saying mm-hmm. goodbye to something I never had. Yeah. Like, it is... The lyrics are stunning. So, yeah. I am just, like, of course, I love her. Of course, I think all, her, all of her is perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that song it really struck a chord with me i really really liked it because it, it's touching yeah and if art does anything it should help people cope with trauma and mm. this is a song that is going to help women cope with something that people can't express in words you know it's and funny that's what art's for
0: <laughs> i've actually been having because again you know i'm not a swifty i don't follow yeah. her career too much yeah. like i think she's incredible yeah not yeah, yeah, to yeah. Say, like, <laughs> yeah but um I have been listening, I've been trying to like listen to the album and I listened to the Annie Hero song and like, of course it's also been in like a thousand TikToks or whatever, uh-huh. <laughs> but I have ha- been having that similar response to that of like, mm-hmm. I'm the problem. Everybody fucking hates me. Yeah. <laughs> like I think that every day of my life. Hi, and- <laughs> it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I w- have been listening to that song and feeling like, yep, that's that's me I'm the fucking problem and I understand what you say yeah and I like it when I can connect to music like that because uh-huh. like I don't know it just feels good to also have someone who's 10 million times more successful than I am like Taylor Swift being like I also fucking hate myself yeah I'm like, Okay, good. It's like, fine. not <laughs> good. We're but all on like, the same I'm page. Glad We're all all the that same I'm page. not alone. Yeah, <laughs> I just I think
1: that's why she's that. so interesting. Because if you watch her music videos, she also does not pretend to be a good dancer. Like mm-hmm. the, she makes fun of herself. Like mm-hmm. during these videos, I, I don't know. So on the way home, listen to Bigger Than okay. the Whole Sky. You're gonna, you might cry. Well, you'll definitely cry. You're a crier. Oh. Uh, it's <sighs> it's really intense.
0: I did, um, when I got the email from the egg bank today, I, uh, so this personal thing, I started crying in the gym and I was like, I gotta leave. Oh. <laughs> and then it kind of looked like I was crying because I like, wasn't doing, I wasn't getting the climb that I was working on. So I was like, wow, I'm like super embarrassed now. <laughs> the last time I did that, the next time I came in, the guy at the gym was like, Catherine. So <laughs> <can> you, uh, <laughs> he goes, um, he goes, You would you prefer that we call you something else like Kathy or Katie? And I was like, Katie's fine. He goes, Okay,
1: Katie. Now, every time I come in, he's like,
0: Hey, Katie. I'm like, Okay, we don't have to do this, buddy.
1: He's trying to make you know I'm the problem. I know it's me. It's me. Hi,
0: I'm the problem. I'm back again because I go
1: to the gym here. Oh, God, that song is good. (laughs) (laughs) The next one, I feel I don't know if it's a song right after that or right before it was. It's like cat eyes sharp enough to kill a man. I'm like, (laughs) shit. I can't do eyeliner, but for people who can, yes.
0: I made myself a little kitty cat because I had a porch party for Halloween and it was perfect. Um, Just like, you know. You did the little cat eye? I didn't do a cat eye. I just did a little nose and whiskers. They were so wobbly. Wibbly wobbly. I was like, Am I even a person? Do I have hands or do I have mittens on constantly? This is ridiculous. So anyways. Is this
1: kitten who lost their mittens. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> Isn't that a rhyme? She's eating her curds and whey. Yeah, okay.
1: What are, you so, t- what are you
0: doing? I'm going to promote the League of Their Own series. Okay. I started it. It's Very good. Very I haven't good. finished it. It's so good. Fun, Again. Fun. fun. Not, not to brag, but I also cried last night um, <laughs> at one of the episodes. Not to brag. Because it is – I don't know. I just – I love it so much, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is portraying so many people and, like, the one-girl Maxine's fucking struggles. Like, it's so frustrating just seeing her getting turned away from thing after thing after yeah. thing after thing. And uh, and then to, like, add in all the war stuff. It's just, like, I think it's so well done. And all of the characters s- – are like fleshed out and like the dialogue is really fucking good. I wasn't mm. expecting that person. Like, frankly, you know, I was like, oh, it's gonna be like you cutesy. know, cutesy, yeah. overly feminist. You know, <laughs> what? What the hell is this podcast? Then overly feminist.
1: But you know, like, it's you- gonna be
0: so cutesy and overly feminist. <laughs> ew, <laughs> ew, ew. But <laughs> I, don't I like. But stuff you know i like <laughs> I was worried it was going to be, uh, a City say like saccharine like corporate feminist yeah you know of like a stain on the record yeah for people was, to
1: cite in their journals against i us. was
0: worried that it was going to feel like a show written by men to be feminist perfect and it doesn't feel like that right and it features all these female comedians that are so fucking mm. cool and like i'm just very much enjoying it That's so, great. So, I'm, good it. It.
1: I'm glad to hear that because i do want to watch it
0: you should it was funny because right after it premiered fucking thomas hall from my oldest friend a true hero a true hero hero. i was like katie are you watching this and i was like thomas i have too many shows on my plate i have not watched it um but now i can say that i have and it's wonderful (laughs) so anyways thank you for listening we love you we do please Uh, go vote on tuesday please vote on tuesday vote for Um, choice exclusively yeah um please follow us on all the social medias we post the cocktail recipes every tuesday unless i have a bad day then i post them on wednesday (laughs) which is fine Um, which is fine want to drink wednesday Um, (laughs) god i wish it was that um and if you want more of this and you want to know why i cried today uh, specifically, you can join us on Patreon. <laughs> we talk a little bit afterwards, we and get it's wild. great. Yeah. We get really crazy um, a couple Sometimes weeks ago. we get
1: personal. Oh. Really personal.
0: Last week, we were starting to get really personal, and then we got cut off because yeah, our sound, re- got wobbly, sound got wobbly. And I was like, wow, crazy. I really wish that we had continued that conversation. <laughs> I need um, to talk more to you about your deepest fears. <laughs> Actually so anyways if you want join us there for as little as a dollar a month Mm. you can keep the drinks and the conversation flowing um and rate and review us on apple Podcasts. we haven't gotten a rate or review in quite some time so if you want to go over and just swipe over on the stars that would be wonderful Mm. um join us here next week but in between then never forget that well-behaved women Make pancakes from scratch. Yeah, they do, and they rarely make history because they are spending too much time in the kitchen. Good, just kidding. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> You're allowed to to the kitchen.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>